0: Welcome to episode number 23 of the podcast today we've got a really interesting lady her name is Debbie Oliver now she knows all things truffle now she has truffles coming from Tasmania she has truffles coming from WA she also knows all things caviar But back on the truffle story, what I was just talking to her, we recorded this pre-COVID, so a few things have changed. But the one big thing that Debbie asked me to talk to you about is if we can support truffles. They have come into this time where they really, like lots of industries, need truffles. So if you're a chef out there, it is going to be a bumper season for truffles. And we need to get back in there and support the industry before these farms decide that they can't do it anymore and dig them all up or plough them in or whatever they've got to do. So, support truffles where we can, guys. Listen to Debbie; she's got loads of great information for us today, and also loads of information about caviar, which is super interesting. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy this one. Thanks again for your support. Truffles,
1: let's do it.
0: Lots. Debbie Oliver, Lady Truffle, welcome to the broadcast.
1: Hello, Graham.
0: Thank you for being a part of this. Um, it really is uh, a pleasure to talk to you and get to know a little bit more about what you do. Now, I'm going to say to the people out there that you are a truffle expert.
1: Ooh. Not that high
0: <laughs> And that you are a caviar expert.
1: I tend to use the word lover.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: (laughs) I think caviar lover and truffle lover would be more appropriate. I just wanted to say thank you so much for doing this with me today. I'm pretty chuffed. I've hardly slept because I'm very excited about the opportunity.
0: (laughs) Oh, we're just having a chat just like normal. It's all good. Yeah,
1: so a bit of fun.
0: But um, when I think truffle, I think you and um, I, um, you know, anyone ever asks me about truffle, I, I either ring you or say, hey, you know, what is this? And I think loads of people out there are mesmerised by this beautiful gourmet product that is becoming uh, more available because of what you have been able to do um, and others by making it available for a, probably a longer a longer period of time. But I really want to get back to um, the roots of, 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 of actually the product. And nice
1: segue, the roots.
0: Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's start at the roots of those trees. Okay. But tell me about tell me about how truffles happen.
1: Let's dig truffles. So what I actually do is I um I started a little business and I guess the one thing about my business has been the marketing. It's been pretty stellar, if I call it that. And uh, there's so certainly yourself. twenty years ago, if you mentioned the word truffle to an Australian, they would have just thought the chocolate type. So I definitely think the uh, the underground mushroom truffle has um, certainly become a very popular product here in Australia. And and I think that's because you've got something now that is um, uh, grown in over 300 farms in our country. So there's a huge industry in Australia. So
0: let's recap on that. 300 farms in Australia.
1: Over 300 farms. Wow. So the truffle industry in Australia is actually the fourth, we're, we're the fourth largest producer of truffle in the country. So we've got something to be very proud of. And uh, my, my obsession with truffles probably began when I lived overseas uh, almost 20 years ago when I visited some European countries and experienced my first truffle uh, dinners and truffle f- feeds and, and then to have that opportunity to sell something that's so luxurious and so mysterious uh, here in Australia and have a product that's so incredibly great in the, in the sense of its quality. We have um, we rival the European uh, truffle and the Italian truffles, and we have um, an incredible export industry here in Australia. So it's something I'm really proud to be able to deliver.
0: So out of those more than three hundred farms, um, I just want to recap on something you sort of brushed over there a little bit. Where did you did you say we are? Where in the world with truffle? We're the
1: fourth biggest producer, so fourth we're looking at biggest. about twenty thousand kilos of truffle. Uh, to come out of Australia this year, hopefully, if wow. we have a great season. So, so
0: who is the biggest and who's okay, first, second, so third?
1: To put to put it in a bit of perspective, the two areas that grow the most truffle are Western Australia and Tasmania, although Canberra is coming up very, very quickly with a high production. And the two key players would definitely be the Manjimup area and Pre- probably Deloraine in Tasmania so those areas there have quite a few farms. Wow there's farms also in Victoria and uh, there's a couple in New South Wales now um, there's a couple secret ones out in Queensland uh, but to, a- <laughs> to actually have a production as such or a certain amount of kilos that you can you can sell and successful quality the, definitely the Manjum up WA and Tasmania are the two best. Oh. In my opinion
0: right okay, diplomatic yeah. answer there. Uh, so just so everyone knows we're in this lovely cafe on the Gold Coast called a bumble and it's pouring down rain outside and um, there's a, a they're not chickens in the background. I think they are people uh, but they're having a bit of fun um, and they would be dying to hear all about truffles, but they pr- can't hear us for talking. So I wanted to find out about how truffles grow now there's pigs and dogs and all sorts of things so, um, how do the, how do we do it in Australia? Do we do it with, um, do we dig them up? Are they attached to the root of the tree? Okay. What type of tree is it?
1: Good question. So the, the key thing to, that I try to explain to a lot of my truffle lovers is that the uh, truffles in Australia are cultivated. We do have a native uh, truffle, but it's not really edible. So there's many species, but the species that's of culinary value grown in Australia is called the sporum, or also known as perigord or winter truffle. And this truffle is grown mainly on oak and hazelnut trees, although there are some other truffle trees that the farmers are experimenting with. But the key um, deliverables are certainly oak and hazelnut. Now, the truffle has a symbiotic relationship with the trees. They're in love. Yeah. At the end of the day, the truffle is an underground mushroom. So it it actually grows and attaches itself with the roots of the tree. And the cool thing about it is that the, the tree provides the truffle with... Um, sugar so it should be very fat and the truffle supplies the tree with nutrients and water so it's a lovely relationship and they work well together
0: so there's more than one truffle there's white ones and there's black ones that i know because i'm not a truffle expert but what tell me about the other types of varieties
1: perfect so the key thing here is that there is white and black truffles and they're very very different so a lot of people ask me about that difference and the one thing to note is that in australia we only grow the winter truffle and we also have had a bit of luck with what we call a spring truffle, which is a borki or bianchetto. Uh, not very good at pronouncing that, but it's a um, a spring white truffle, which is like a, a cheaper Italian alba. It's certainly a lot different and a lot cheaper because in Australia we do not grow what is called magnatum picco, which is the Italian alba. It's not available in Australia. So in in saying that, to go back a step, in Australia we have Milana's Forum, which is a Perigord Black Winter Truffle. We have this Spring Truffle, which is that balky. And we also have a Summer Truffle, which is fairly tasteless. It's more of an aesthetic, Um, and a lot of the farmers really just stick to to cultivating that perigord, the most famous truffle, which is that black winter.
0: So when is it for the best time in Australia to get truffles?
1: Okay, so we have truffles mainly running through June, July, and August, although the seasons have been a little bit crazy. Last year I had them a little earlier in May, which we call early-season truffle. Uh, The key thing is for the, the truffle to experience some colder winters, and the colder weather brings them... Uh, around to mature and ripen. So when you asked earlier about truffle growing, one of the things that the truffle farmers all explained to me is that we need a really hot summer, we need a really damp spring, and we need a really cold winter. And so there's a lot of little mystery about growing truffles and and one of the things I find interesting is that there's farmers that uh, tell me they need seven frosts to actually get a a ripe, mature truffle. Um, And already you can see some of the truffles starting to surface and our, our farmers are, are covering them back up and trying to keep them under the earth so that they can uh, grow and mature correctly over the correct seasons that, that it needs.
0: Wow. So how long does it take from, the you know, planting the tree, I'm going to go buy myself a truffle tr- farm or I'm going to plant some trees? Like yeah, is that so how the, it, the Is that what you do? You just plant the tree?
1: Yeah, the rumours around, look, and, and again, many truffle farmers are very open with their information and others are very closed and it's a very mysterious uh, truffle mafia riddled little space that we're, we're in. But uh, the key thing here is that when you place the tree, I, I've, I've had farmers come back to me and tell me they've had truffles within four years to seven years, but generally it's a, a seven to ten-year project.
0: Right, yeah.
1: So the other thing too, I remember a lady out West Queensland um, called me because she'd found some trees on her property and uh, her husband had passed away a few years earlier and she had... Um, a big bunch of oak trees in a a row and she called me out because she'd found a little lump under one of the trees and it happened to be Truffle and uh, she was pretty ecstatic. So, yeah, there's a few people out there I think that may have a few (laughs) inoculated trees on their properties that they need to go and have a look at.
0: Wow. So they're not like, um, they don't need a, they don't need any um, like male, female, there's no pollination. Then? Yeah,
1: good questions. Ah. So there's a lot of scientifics going into that at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of papers that you can read, especially if you Google online. But uh I've had um some interesting stories told to me by farmers around Australia. Um and Ooh, the new discoveries with the male and female. Uh I guess pollination methods and the strength of the male or the female or the different species of truffle as they grow. There's a lot of research being done. Australia is an interesting place because even when I was at a, a festival a few years ago, I accidentally got sat on a table where I don't think they actually knew who I was.
0: They sat you on the table.
1: <laughs> at a festival. And uh, everyone had had a few drinks at the table. And the funny thing was, I was sitting across from two scientists from France a couple of scientists from the University in Canberra and uh, truffle owners, and they were all talking about the research and the and the the Australian truffle industry, and it was a very interesting conversation, but what i did did get out of this was that we are, are leading the way in Australia with cultivating fabulous truffle, and we've got um, we're leading the way with the quality and the flavour and the profile here in Australia.
0: well that's fantastic um i'm I'm really proud of um lots of australian products and we are leading the world with you know loads of different things including wine and all things delightful and i do think that our food scene is becoming better and better and better and it is people like yourself who are prepared to get out there and drive around in the truffle truck delivering stuff all over the you know from where do you go from you know everywhere yeah Byron to noosa yeah Byron to noosa the same sort of circle as as us And um, yeah, without that happening, you know, like they they just it just doesn't happen. So your passion that you've turned into a a business is uh is actually a real credit because, like I just said, without you doing that sort of thing, you know, the stuff doesn't get on the plate and the people don't have the experience to enjoy. You know, coming to to play. play, So one of
1: one of the, (laughs) the most important things I've found with my business is to educate or to try to help the chef with the front of house training and to get these kind of really, really, some expensive products um, out to those customers but with a more understanding and a bit of a story behind it. So there's nothing there's nothing worse than selling a product to somebody and them not really understanding how to store it, care for it, serve it and um, and where it's all come from. So that's been a part of my Truffle journey. Uh, educating my chefs especially on the different species and how to store it and care for it.
0: And do you find that's w- well received? They, they really enjoy that?
1: Oh, it's a bit of a mystery product. It's very special and it's got a, a lot of history and, and like uh, we mentioned earlier, that the connection between nature and the earth and humans, the, the truffle has it all with the, the loyalty, the dog, the hunters. Yeah. There's so much depth to it that I think it's a, a really unique it's a special product.
0: Can we quickly just dive quickly into the history? Like what happened, like how did this all start? You know anything about the history of truffles? And
1: Yeah, look, I, th- I think it dates back, um, they say, to the Romans where they used to believe that lightning would hit the ground and that's how a truffle was formed. It's quite quite wow. magical. And it's also been uh, the, the Catholics apparently even um, banned people from having truffle because they believed it was an aphrodisiac. So there's a little bit of a... There history there with a truffle being notorious or a little bit on the naughty side. Uh, they say that the pigs are attracted to it because it's got the same hmm. um, adrenaline, adre- adre- I can't even say the word, but adrenaline? it's... Adrenaline? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No? No, no, no. It's is like it? the, the hormone from the, the male pigs. Oh. So that's why it's so, it's a sexual kind of uh, product.
0: Yeah, well, you know what? That's actually a, um, an intelligent... Um, uh, thing they, they we talked about that Nick when, when we were up there and what was that product? It was the the fruit and that, that the animals are attracted to. Oh, they cut the round pointing on the yeah, durian. durian. Yeah, yeah, the durian are like a super intelligent type of fruit that you know, well, attracts re- animals. And, and it and needs it,
1: that to yeah, reproduce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right? It so actually
0: it, is a form of intelligence in the, in the product that actually does it to, to reproduce. Yeah. So smart. No wonder it's expensive because durian's expensive as well. <laughs> now, tell me also, like other mushrooms, does it reduce in size after it's harvested sometimes? Yes.
1: Yeah. Good. So 3% of its weight is lost every 24 hours. Um, and that, that varies a little depending on the 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 farm that you get it from so it's a bit of a a tight one so I can run around and if I don't move my truffle within 24 hours I've lost three percent of my value straight away so
0: and three (laughs) percent is probably the whole margin really let's face it
1: yeah Yeah. it's definitely an expensive product to play with yes
0: okay so when do we when do we import them because I know that you have been to Italy and had some fantastic times over there and you've got loads of connections over there as well when do you import them into Australia
1: okay so the the Italian whites which are uh, the value is about four times the value of the, the Blacks and uh, they have a season that runs from the 21st of September through to the 31st of January. Uh, um, I bring those in over that period and especially during November, December when they peak and the flavour and aroma is at, at its best. There's also the um, perigords or the black truffles that I can bring in when we don't have that season here in Australia. And that's sort of currently at the moment, um, especially for Valentines and special menus. I find that a lot of the chefs that have a European background or the European menus like to use the fresh truffle on a lot of their products and and for specials. And what does it taste like? Okay, the. Uh, ha- look, oh, everyone, I, I, it's. I've <laughs> had
0: it, you've had it. So, <laughs> had it, for those who may well be listening who have never had the privilege. I've tasted, and I've only had the privilege because you've given me one. So, uh, and thank you for that for Christmas. That's I do right. appreciate that. But um, yeah, tell us about what the flavour is and how they may differ from truffle to truffle.
1: Okay, so definitely, I believe that the region of the where the truffle comes from can uh, can affect the flavour. And I have found that certainly with Tasmanian and Canberra and and WA here, and uh, and obviously the the weather and the season affects the flavour and aroma and the the dryness. So. With the black and white truffle, I think it's important to note that the black is like a an earthy, fruity, nutty mushroom. And the, the white is more like a I tend to call it a bit of a spice. So it's like a garlicky, honey, uh, flavoured spice that you can you can use. And it's best to, to, to not to not play with it too much and not to cook it. Whereas the, the black truffle is a little bit more sturdy and hardy and can be used in a more co- cooking.
0: So, the droughts in 2019, are they going to affect the season of 2020?
1: It may. Although a lot of our farmers are, um, have a lot of irrigation. That's right. So, there's. <laughs> that
0: was a very weird way. <laughs> I'm never going to be on your. What's a game, are you? What's a game for. <laughs> we're never playing that. No, no, no. We're not playing
1: that. <laughs> so, the key thing to know about a, a truffle farm is they need around a minimum 700 millimeters oh. of rain per year. Right. So that's the what they, they claim for a truffle farm to So I guess they can area. irrigate it.
0: They've got water. Tassie, they've planted yeah, plenty. Yeah, they've got they've plenty, got plenty and underground they, and everywhere, haven't they? Yes. Bloody show offs. Um, wow. So you're getting truffle all around the place. Uh, it tastes delicious. A couple of different variances. You're pulling them from Italy. The 300 farms are in just Australia. We're the fourth biggest truffle
1: producers, producers yeah, we're in, the, in the world.
0: Wow um you're a part of that by distributing it all over the beautiful sunny southeast Queensland and into Byron um Nick's writing me a note terribly quickly what what's it say oh yeah that's a good question thank you Nick um who is doing what with it at the moment like who are the who are the chefs that are just kicking goals well I know you can't have favorites I do know that now you know like we both know lots of amazing chefs but it's hard to you know like SK I imagine he's doing some beautiful stuff up there
1: yeah, so it, it kind of, um, especially in Australian truffle season, there's a uh, many, many of our restaurants will jump on the, on the um, the truffle digger station menus, and I mean I've had a few dinners that I've had the privilege to go and attend and, and to talk with the clients and the customers. Uh, steak and oyster, yeah, the new guys Simon Gloft's restaurant with Chef Kelvin up there in Brizzy, they're they're loving their truffle and certainly. Um, you know, the Howard Smith Wharfs guys, uh, Blackbird, they, they enjoy their truffle. Uh, um, Star Chef City. Massimo, yeah, the Star City Casino here yep. on the Gold Coast, yep. they do a lot of truffle months in July. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a, a little bit of a truffle lover's uh, journey, certainly when it's our Australian season. But um, you'll find a lot of the Japanese and Asian restaurants will run it um, in the European season.
0: Yep. And just for you know, one, one more qu- for those who don't know, you know, what is the main thing it's served with? Like I've had truffle mash, I've had it on scrambled eggs. What, are, what is there anything that you've gone, wow, this is cool? I've actually seen it on a pizza as well, where that seems very indulgent. But what is what is something that you've gone that's been amazing?
1: Look, I am um, having travelled and experienced truffle in in, in Europe. One of the key things is just to keep it super simple. When the truffle's really, really good, it's so enjoyable on pasta with just butter run through it. And, but and Wait a
0: minute. Pasta and just butter's good, man.
1: <laughs> man, that's like oh. cheating.
0: <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, but, you know, just really simple. One of the most incredible dishes I've ha- ever had in my life, which is probably where my, my truffle addiction began, was white truffle ice cream. Um, absolutely. I get, like... Um, goosebumps just thinking about eating that's one of my favorite feeds i've ever had in my life wow so white truffle ice cream and then if you're going to be using the black i do enjoy my my tagliatelle pasta with with my truffle just shaved right on top
0: with a little bit of butter <laughs> <laughs> so does it is it salty or seasoning do you need you need to still season much or
1: oh, just
0: enough in the water with the pasta and then straight with the truffle then
1: just the truffle and truffle and the, loves and, cream it loves oh, eggs and cream oh, so yeah,
0: yeah. What, and does it Oh, okay, I was just about to say, do you need to add the cheese with that as well? Yes, yeah, certainly. No, I a bit of cheese. Regina. Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> I um I think um that Nelly sums us up with truffles, but also you do caviar. Now yes, I've so heard I, some of your amazing talks that you do at fantastic restaurant dinners with wine matches and all sorts of you things. You were even and there. You, I was yes. at one of them, and you blew me away with the stories and how you eat it. So let's tell me, tell me about that.
1: Okay, so I guess um, I guess my my I, I do love a story. I do love uh, presenting and speaking in front of groups of people, and that sort of stems through my entire career, um, whether that was in the in the travel industry or in the corporate game. And it's a it's a real buzz for me to be able to do that now with food, something I'm really passionate about. And I find that um, well, one of the things that are really important, I think, for people is to in, to have all five uh senses stimulated and when you go to a restaurant that's key you know it's the sight the sound the taste everything but if you can just tap into people's uh, minds and get, take them on the journey with that food it tastes better
0: 100 percent.
1: so having mm. that caviar experience everyone sort of first of all do, they don't know what to expect they just think it's going to be incredibly fishy so that is so delightful for me to take them on the journey where it's actually nutty and creamy and and, uh, and buttery so the, uh, the flavour certainly takes them apart, but the one thing that is enjoyable too is explaining the, the history of caviar and get, taking them on that journey of the love and the romance and and even the, the, the respect, the respect for something that's so precious with, with, we're going to go into the sturgeon now, which is the species of fish that the caviar comes from. And one of the things that I love to share with my, my clients or the people that are enjoying the food is that this, this fish, which is the sturgeon species of fish, is actually um, is remarkable and dates predates dinosaurs 200 million years. So there's, there's a lot to, um, to know about caviar that isn't just about being put on a bellini or uh, being served with vodka. There, there's such a, a story behind it, and I'd like to share that.
0: Tell me. Tell me the story. <laughs> I want to know the story. That's what I asked you, man. <laughs>
1: okay, so for me, uh, I,
0: I I love the history bit too.
1: Oh, yeah. Look, I like to share the uh, the Catherine the Great story and and how a pirate fell in love, or they they fell in love, and she managed to get him what what is claimed to be the first fishing license in the world, and allowed him to roam the Caspian Sea to get all of her caviar that she she indulged in. So there's a there's a little bit of love and mystery and and caviar certainly. Uh, it is now a, an industry that is um, in abundance. It's more affordable. And I like to share that with people because there's a bit of a fear or a stigma around caviar and it being a, a bit of a, a, a bad product. Um, and the, the, the truth of the matter is that it's now fully sustainable. After th- around 30 years ago, they banned fishing in the Caspian Sea to save the species. Uh, and now there are hundreds of farms around the world um, with caviar so it's now completely uh, guilt sustainable. Free. Yeah, more more guilt-free. There's there's certain ways that they harvest the caviar now, which is obviously more sustainable and friendly. And um, I just think that that needs to be a bit of an education piece for people, so that they're.
0: That's really important. It's it is a, a big question, and and everyone wants to know that now. So that, I'm glad you actually said that because I would have probably forgot to ask you that. But um, but yeah. So tell us about the process. How do we how do we do that? Do we?
1: One of the funny facts I like to share with my clients or at a truffle talk or a caviar experience is that the, the person that actually um, uh, is responsible for the flavour of the caviar, there's a really big word that I'll never be able to pronounce, but they do 15 years of training, 10 to 15 years of training to get that role. So caviar is quite a A uh, involved process, and I I guess with the expense of it, then you would imagine that that's the case, and you'd hope that it is. Yeah. But uh, I think caviar for me is is a luxury item that's become affordable, that people should experience or have the opportunity to experience, and I'm thrilled that I get that chance to to give that to people, and I've had a few uh, caviar dinners and events that I, I've held now and it's it's certainly an enjoyable journey to see people convert over to becoming caviar lovers and so and,
0: it, it, it must be like the, it, you must get a lot of first timers
1: absolutely and, and that's the best part that's the best part
0: yeah right okay so there's different types as well like um, yeah
1: different varieties and the, the the thing that I try to explain to everybody to keep it like I like to keep things simple I believe that it's you shouldn't overcomplicate overcomplicate things. So, at the end of the day, everyone's heard of Beluga, which is the the most expensive, and then you move into Savrugas and Asetches and the Siberian or Bayeri. So well,
0: look at you go. Just
1: yeah, like there's a, different varieties and they're different flavors. And even yeah. if it's expensive, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be your preferred taste. So now, I like to enjoy going through that with people.
0: Now, um, why do you eat it off your hand?
1: Aha, caviar bump. <laughs> 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 That's always a little bit of fun. So the caviar bump actually dates back to the 16th century when the merchants would go down by the Caspian Sea and they would taste the different caviars out of the barrels. Now, barrels. what they would do is they'd put their big hands, or the little hands, with their hand out and take a big bump of caviar onto the the side of their fist, and they would take it off of their mouth and taste it and decide, first of all, if they thought the quality was good, and then they could talk about how much they would pay for it. So that's where the caviar bump comes from, and it's actually the oldest and most traditional way to taste caviar. So one of my fun things is to get people to enjoy caviar bumps together at events, and and yeah, it's a little bit of fun, and it just takes out the seriousness of caviar and, and brings people just to have a bit of a laugh and enjoy food.
0: So where do you supply where does so we you know, we've got listeners out there on the on the Goldie and Brizzy and, and uh nooser environment. Where where do they where do they where do you sell it to? Mainly restaurants or do you do little shops as well or Yeah, what, look, where, where, got where do a lot, they
1: find it? I got a lot of private foodies. Um especially if you're having an event or a party or or celebrating something, I, I deliver uh, to private foodies. Uh, but my main Clients are wholesale and restaurants.
0: Okay, so when is this? When is the season? Is there different seasons for the different types? Again,
1: yeah. So the caviar farm industry happens to be um, quite extensive. Now we've even got farms in Malaysia, whereas and Uruguay, and um, the caviar supply seems to be very, very consistent. Um, I'd say the, the sturgeon species of fish is actually a northern hemisphere fish. So it's been incredible to watch the, uh, the growth of the farms happening in the southern hemisphere and us being very successful with, with farming caviar. So the season really isn't that um, prevalent. But certainly in Australia we do have a great um, salmon and trout row farming and they do have particular seasons.
0: Right. So, um, we, um, so we do do it in Australia.
1: Yeah, we only salmon and trout roe. Right. Okay. okay, here's a big one for you. So the word caviar should only be used yep. for the eggs or the fish, the fish roe that comes from a species of fish called sturgeon. Now that that's the the rule, but uh, we certainly do have you know yara um, caviar, and we also have scampi caviar, and and the caviar term is used a little loosely for roe from from other um, species of fish. So, but the, the word caviar should generally only be used for the roe that comes from the species called sturgeon.
0: Is that like champagne?
1: Oh, no. How, it's just
0: <laughs> how they lost their, you know, we weren't allowed to call stuff champagne. Oh, they had, had a, a Prosecco it. argument the other yeah, day. Yeah, did did you hear really? that?
1: Australia's up in arms. No. no, so look, yeah, look, champagne's a region and and, and caviar and sturgeon, it's a fish. So yeah. and, and
0: really it, it's just sort of served like, well, you tell me how, how it's served. My
1: like, favourite uh, it was actually here in Bumbles and it was Chef Michael and he, he had steamed potatoes and the creme fraiche with the caviar on top. And I just, I mean, I, again, look at me, I'm starting to... Get excited, but I get I love. It's one of my favourite things I've ever eaten. They are
0: they are, they may well be aphrodisiacs, both truffle and <laughs> yeah. And yeah, look, I've moved
1: into a bit yeah. of a space here, haven't because I? Because they
0: sort of put you in a good mood, don't they?
1: Yeah, no, it's and, so and if, food should. Yeah, yeah. Food should. It's uh, it's exactly why I got into the business in the in the first place, because of that, because of how good food can make people feel.
0: Tell me your Instagram name so that people can find you and follow you. And
1: okay, so I've got a, my like personal page i guess debbie oliver gc and then i've also got my business page which is a lady truffle fine foods so oh, yeah
0: so if people want to get in touch they can just find you through insta which is a perfect way usually and um you know start getting these things on the menu if they wanted to is there enough there's definitely enough supply for
1: yeah look me. it's an interesting little world i i am um, I now, I guess I'm a locally owned and operated little business. Um, so my competitors, by yeah, yeah, just by myself. I do all the ordering and I, I do the delivering and and. And it's I,
0: much more than that. Like it's easy to say you do the ordering and the delivering, right? It, obviously, there's so <laughs> much that goes into it. The relationships that you must have to maintain with growers, the timing. I bet there's loads of weekends because you've got to knows, in the right You know, I definitely yeah, it's do a know. T-
1: it's certainly <laughs> been. Um, yeah,
0: but I just want to emphasise that you know. The, the work that I know that you do and um, how hard it is just to, to make sure that you get it there in its premium condition and they're both temperature-sensitive products.
1: Absolutely. That's a, that's a good and, one. So um,
0: I- and I know that you're at airports at ridiculous time when you're running around <laughs> doing things. And, um, you know, so full credit to you to even take on these hugely expensive, uh, low-margin, um, perishable products, uh, massive, uh, you know, goodies to you because it's a it's a tough gig because if you lose a little bit
1: yeah there goes a, your margin it's actually um I was only thinking about this last night because I was thinking about questions you might ask and and one of the things that certainly came to my mind was around about uh, eight months into my business and and just bear in mind I'm only in my Third year now, so uh, it was early days, and my product certainly can cost me five thousand to twenty thousand dollars a week to buy. And I, um, one of my fridges broke down mm. at around about eight months in, and I still get—I I fell on the floor, I cried into the floor, and I looked up, and my son was standing there, and I'll never forget it because I'd done eight months of really hard work to get my business up and running. Uh, It took me four months to get my first sale and um, I lost around about $8,000 worth of product uh, just from one of the fridges breaking down. And I, I had a choice there and then whether to keep going or just pull out. It just been such a hard slog.
0: So was that one of your biggest challenges that, that the, day? are
1: oh, just, just awful. And I can remember because the first four months I had no hospitality background so I was kind of knocking on the back of kitchen doors um, with about 12 a day, six a week and working on an average of seven rejections to try to manage my, my, I guess, my self-esteem, keep it intact. In now uh, you know
0: how us blokes do <laughs>
1: And I had a lot of people look at me going, not you again, or what are you doing yeah, here? Yeah. And I just had my little bag of truffle over my, my shoulder trying to, to move product and educate and, and find some sort of stepping in the industry. And, uh, yeah, and I'd only just started to get a little bit of traction and pay the bills, and that was, um, yeah, probably the biggest hurdle that I decided I – was, it was – break down or keep going and
0: is that why you've had to resort to child labor <laughs> i've seen your son working hard with you on the school oh, holidays
1: he, he's such a champion so that he's i mean 90 percent of the reason i started this business is to offer him opportunity and give him a better better life and it's him and i and he certainly um does carry a few boxes um and he comes with me on school holidays uh, reluctantly sometimes but uh, I think he doesn't mind when he pops into a restaurant and a chef says hello, and he certainly doesn't mind eating good food. Yeah. So I'm very lucky. I do,
0: I do notice you finish up somewhere at a nice <laughs> restaurant somewhere and enjoy some food. I have
1: so, certainly put on a few kilos for this job, <laughs> yeah.
0: How do you uh, really look after yourself? You know, like small business owners, one, we've talked about the challenges that you've had and you've you've uh, you've lost money oh. and... You know, and you have to get up every day and do it. And I'm sure, like I say, regularly, you know, when you own a business, you can work whatever 20 hours a day you want to. Now, what, what are, we spoke about the challenges, now, do you know, what are you doing for exercise? How are you making sure that your energy levels are high to, to keep going?
1: Great question. So, And I'm a big, big advocate for this. So I think the key thing is to ensure that what you're doing, you're passionate about. Then, then you can keep going. Then you find that energy source. Uh, I, I've certainly tried to um, push my business in a way where I can find a purpose in any way I can, and you've probably seen that with my my odds harvest and and trying to support any fundraisers or charity lunches. I'm pretty proactive in that sense, and there, there's nothing better than uh, motivation when it comes with a little bit of a a purpose. Um, my key thing, though is to always be mindful. I've done a lot of work on. Um, self-mastery. I do practice a lot of attitude of gratitude. Uh, This was a a big, big change for me about four years ago when I went through a bit of a process and figured out what was important to me. And that includes a lot of like beach time and walking. And I, I can work say 10 or 20 days in a row but i'll take three off and those three days i'm i come from a family of four driving and camping so it's just straight away truffle truck let's get out of here yeah
0: i've seen that (laughs) as well you're actually quite prominent on instagram so i do feel like i know you probably better than you know you realize but um yeah you do have a, a a lovely work ethic and um it is good to see balance in that because you know i know and nick knows who works every day nick's on holidays today and uh (laughs) <laughs> Nick looks after our podcast stuff and he's uh, always working whether I whether he wants to or not. <laughs> But um, so owning your own business can be a massive challenge. And, and the um, hours
1: get away with you. You wake up, you think about it. You go to sleep, you think about it. You wake up at 2.30 in the morning, you're thinking about it. You do. So the only way to balance that is to actually take and, – and, and having a son is probably the way that that happens because I can go days where I don't give him attention and then all of a sudden I go, right, son, jump in the car, we're going. Yep. And we'll go fishing or just camping or I just have to take that time out to give him attention. Um, and, and you can't function – uh, I mean, when you love what you do, it's easy to get obsessive mm. and to continually do it and not even realise how much you're doing it. So investing time in family and friends and, and outside of work is always uh, a mindful thing that you should do.
0: Um, I really wanted to recap on when is the best time to eat truffle?
1: Oh, definitely yeah. our Australian season coming up towards the end of May and then you'll find that July it peaks. So Season dependent, Mother Nature dependent. We should have a wonderful season in July every year.
0: Beautiful. And um, you mentioned before that the um, the the season for caviar is a little bit all over the place, and people would have to have to do what to to work that out?
1: Yeah. So with the caviar, uh, I did have something called like an albino caviar, a bright yellow gold one, uh, last year, and that one's a little tricky to get hold of, depending on the harvest. But uh, if you just follow the Instagram, I'm very quick to put up what's coming and what's available and obviously how to get your hands on it. So uh, yeah, those two products are definitely um, on my Instagram all the time.
0: I think what's different to to you and say perhaps one truffle farm is that you've got the ability to source from a load of different farms. So you've got lots more variety in your repertoire um, and probably a lot longer season than given that you're using lots of different people.
1: Yeah, look, certainly the farms, um, some of them will start pro- uh, producing truffle in May and then they might even finish end of July. So it's great to have that connection with a lot of farmers from different areas to be able to supply the truffle throughout the entire season.
0: You should do like an annual tour, you know, and take chefs somewhere.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that uh, watch this space.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're you're awesome and you're doing a fantastic job for um, the hospitality industry and the tourist industry and you should be very, very proud of what you've done. Thank you. And I'm a big fan and um, I think that will wrap us up for today.
1: Wonderful, thank you. It's been a
0: privilege talking to you and knowing you and watching you grow in your business and uh, yeah, any support that we can give, we, we've always got your back.
1: Yeah, and your encouragement and support means the world. Thank you, Graham. No problem.